Now, if you will, let's take our Bibles out and let's turn together to the book of Mark once more. We're in Mark chapter 1 today. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. Mark 1, verse 14. Have, have you ever had something come up in your life that was so important that you just immediately stopped everything that you were doing? You disregarded your schedule. You dropped your plans. You, in a sense, disregarded your entire life and let it all let it all fall away to address that one thing. I think we can all probably think about instances in our lives where that's happened. You re- receive one of those phone calls, right? One of those phone calls and you learn someone has an illness or an injury that's life-threatening. Everything else stops. Or maybe it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Maybe it's something positive. Everything else gets put on hold for that. I think of the time where Jennifer called me and told me we were about to have our daughter. We did not expect that that day. She was at work. They told her she was going to have a baby that day. She said, I, I, I got patients to see. I've got to work. What are you talking about? And there's like, no, you're, you're going to have this baby today. She called me, and I, I just kind of walked out of my office at church and yelled down the hall, hey, we're having a baby. I'm leaving. I didn't even check to see if anybody heard me. And then I drove about 70 miles an hour on a back road. To, to get home and get our bag and get back to the hospital so I wasn't going to miss it, you know. But what about in your life? When has that happened? Think about it. Right now, I mentioned this in my prayer, but right now in Wilmore, Kentucky, right outside of Lexington, there's a revival going on, it seems, a genuine revival. Only time will tell. But it seems like the Lord has sent revival to the campus of Asbury University. And it's a worship service that's been going on for If it's still going on this morning, it must be a hundred-something straight hours, maybe, ever since Wednesday morning, not stopped. How, How ridiculous would it be to be in a place like that, that God actually sent revival to, to be sitting there saying, can we, can we hurry this up? I've got to get to the restaurant, right? Can we, can we speed it along here, people? The Super Bowl's about to come on. How ridiculous would that be? Think about it. If, if there was a genuine movement of the Spirit of God going on in your midst, everything else gets put on hold. Everything else, right? Well, today in our text, we see something like that that happened to four men. Everything else got put on hold for this, this one thing. Let me show you what I mean. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14. We're going to read down to verse 20. This is God's word. Mark writes... Now, after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. 
Now today in our text, you'll see it's probably sectioned off like this in your own Bibles. There's kind of two parts to our text. Verses 14 through 15, Jesus beginning his ministry, and then verses 16 through 20, Jesus calling his disciples. And so we're going to start with verses 14 and 15. That's going to be section one of the sermon, so to speak, and then part two, we'll come to that next section. So let's, let's look at as Jesus starts his ministry and how he proclaims the gospel. That's what he's doing there in verses 14 and 15. He's going about proclaiming the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? I asked that question because what I found very interesting about this passage when I looked at it this past week is that Jesus is proclaiming the gospel, verse 14. Verse 15 says he is preaching believe in the gospel, but what do we typically say the gospel is? If I were to ask you what is the gospel, you would probably include something about Jesus dying on the cross for people's sins and Jesus raising back to life, the resurrection. But those things haven't happened yet at this point, right? Jesus is preaching. He has not yet died on the cross, not yet raised. And he is saying, believe in the gospel. What what does that mean in this context? What are people actually to believe in if he hasn't yet died on the cross? He's preaching it. He's saying, believe in it. What is this gospel? Well, we get help from the very word gospel. If we understand what that means, it means good news. The word gospel actually just means good news. But that still leaves us with the question, what is this good news that Jesus is preaching? What is the good news? And we find the answer right here in the context. What does he say in verse 15? What does he say? As he's preaching, he's saying essentially two things. The time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. First he says the time is fulfilled. What does that mean? What time is fulfilled? Well, undoubtedly he means the time for the Messiah to come. The time for the Messiah to come. Almost every time in our New Testaments when we see that word fulfill, it's talking about a promise in the Old Testament that is now coming true. You read through the New Testament, you see that word fulfill, and it's talking about a promise in the Old Testament from God, a prophecy usually, that is now coming true. Oftentimes you will hear it said something like this, Jesus in Luke chapter 4, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he said. Or every now and then in our gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this happened to fulfill what the Lord spoke by the prophet. This happened to fulfill what the scriptures say, and then it will quote some prophecy or promise in the Old Testament. The fulfillment of all the promises of God and the prophecies in the Old Testament comes in Jesus. The prophecies and the promises, like one day, you will read this in your Old Testament, the book of Genesis, one day someone will come to crush the serpent. Or Isaiah, one day a virgin will conceive and her her son will be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. Or perhaps in Ezekiel, one day God will save his people and unite them under one king and one shepherd. All kinds of promises in the Old Testament. Jesus is saying the time is fulfilled. The time is now. He is here. The time is fulfilled. The time has come. In the New Testament, we read things like Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, 
where Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. The fullness of time. The time had come. Or Jesus himself says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? To fulfill them. And so the good news that Jesus is preaching is the time for these promises to be fulfilled is here. That's what he's saying as he walks around. It's here. And it's here because he's here. The one that all of God's people had been waiting for was finally here. And so in that sense, Jesus starts proclaiming the time is fulfilled. The time has come. And then he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God was at hand because God's Messiah, his son, had arrived. Jesus being there meant the kingdom of God was at hand. The kingdom had come in Jesus himself. When we see that word kingdom in our New Testaments, it really means not so much a a place, like you might think of the, the kingdom of, and then fill in the blank, some, some physical location. You know, we, we watch Disney movies all the time. We watch Frozen with our little girls. The kingdom of Arendelle, right? It's a, it's a place, right? But that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not the kingdom of a certain place. It's the kingship. The reign and rule of God is at hand. That's what he's saying. Like when Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three, Seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness and all these other things, clothes, food, all these other things will be given to you as well. Well, he's saying seek first God's reign, God's rule, God's kingship. Not just kingdom a place, but his, his reign and his rule. And so that's what Jesus is saying here. The rule and the reign of God is at hand. It has come because Jesus is here. Now what the people of Jesus' day didn't understand was, and they couldn't have, was how long it would take for God's kingdom to be fully realized. Because we are still waiting for it. Jesus has come, but we are still waiting for the kingdom to be fully realized. God's kingdom is here in part, but it is still coming in many ways. A lot of times theologians will call this the already but not yet of the kingdom that we live in. You can think about that phrase, and it's good to store away in our memories as Bible students. We live in the already but not yet of the kingdom. It's already here in a sense, but it's also not yet fully here in another sense. It's the already but not yet kingdom. So in one sense, already salvation and forgiveness are offered to any who would come to Jesus. Already Satan has been bound because people are being freed from his oppression and slavery because of what Jesus did on the cross. Already the mystery and the power of the gospel has been revealed in Jesus, in his coming, in his dying, in his raising back to life. Already the Spirit of God is being poured out on all who believe. That's all already happening. The kingdom of God has already come in that way. But suffering and sadness and sin and death have yet to be destroyed, right? Satan and his demons can still wreak havoc in many ways. We are waiting for Jesus to return and to redeem us and to redeem creation itself and to raise the dead back to life, right? So you see, it's already, but it's not yet. The already, but not yet kingdom. 
And so Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. That's how we are to understand that. It is at hand. It had come. It broken into the world and into history because Jesus was there. But don't read that and think everything's already here. Everything's already done. No, we're still waiting on the full consummation of that kingdom. And so he says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then he calls for a response. He's preaching. He calls for a response. What response does he call for? At the end of verse 15, repent and believe in the gospel. Since the kingdom is at hand, repent. Repent of your sins. Turn away from the life you have lived and turn to God, to the God of righteousness. Turn away from the sinful life that you are living. Turn to a God of mercy and forgiveness who offers full pardon to any who will come to him through his son, Jesus. Repent, but also believe. Believe in the good news. Believe in this gospel. Now, believing means much more than accepting it as true. It's more than that. It's not just accepting it as true in your mind. You must act upon it. Many today have a mistaken view of what faith is because we, we lift up a verse like John 3.16 out of the context of the Bible and then we proclaim it to people. And John 3.16 is amazing. It's the greatest news in all the world. But when you read that verse, you could misunderstand it if you don't have any other information. Why? Because it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And people say, Well, I believe. I believe that Jesus lived. I believe that Jesus died. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I accept that as true, so I must be saved. Brothers and sisters, Satan believes all that stuff. Satan believes it's all true. Demons believe that stuff. It's much more than just accepting something as true. You must act upon the gospel. In Romans chapter 2, verse 8, it says we must obey the truth. Not just believe the truth, you must obey it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, and 1 Peter 4, 17, both Peter and Paul use the phrase that we must obey the gospel. The gospel is not just something to be accepted. It's not just something to be believed. It's something that you must obey. You must do something in response to this good news. Are you willing to respond to the gospel, to repent and to believe, to act on what you believe, to do something about it, to put your faith and trust in Jesus, to turn away from your sin and turn to him, to confess Jesus as Lord in front of others, to be baptized into his name. All this is involved in obeying the gospel. Do you believe? Are you willing to believe, I should say? Not just do you accept it as true, but are you willing to obey it, to believe and obey? Do you believe that God has brought the kingdom and that it is at hand? Do you believe that God is giving people time right now to repent and obey this gospel? Do you believe that one day that time will run out? Are you willing to take This step of faith. To take the step of faith. Not just to believe and have faith. To take the step. And so Jesus 
begins his ministry by proclaiming the gospel, but then he calls his disciples. He proclaims the gospel, but then he calls his disciples. He calls Peter, who is referred to here as Simon, sometimes referred to as Simon Peter, and his brother Andrew, and then he calls James and John, sons of Zebedee, his first four disciples. He calls them to himself. And notice in our text how both sets of brothers here just leave everything to follow this man. They, they just leave everything. He, he goes to Simon and Andrew, they're fishermen, and he, Jesus says, follow me, verse 17, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And it says immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then he, he goes on, he sees James and John, and it says James and John left their dad in the boat and, and just started following Jesus. Why would this happen? Why would these guys follow this man all of a sudden? Have you ever wondered that when you read this passage? Why would people drop everything and follow a stranger who comes up to say, follow me? Now, initially, we might think that there was probably something stirring in their hearts, right? Something stirring in their hearts when they saw this man and when he spoke the words, something kind of almost miraculous was happening inside of them. And they knew they knew they had to to follow him. But I think there's something more going on here. And if you remember, we've said this multiple times, we'll keep saying it. Mark in his gospel is very concise. Mark is here to give us the bare bones details. He's, he's almost in a hurry to get the good news out to the people that he's writing to. And so he doesn't provide a lot of extra details. But if you go to gospels like Matthew or Mark, or I mean Matthew or Luke, you can get a lot of extra information on the same event that Mark is reporting on. And so I want to do that today, and I want to show you something that can help us understand this question. Why, why would these men follow this complete stranger? Keep your finger in Mark with me and turn one book ahead to the book of Luke. We're going to come back to Mark, so keep your finger there. But turn one book to the right, book of Luke, chapter 5. Luke, chapter 5. We're going to go to, to verses 1 through 11. Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Give you a chance to get there. I want to read this scene to you. It's the same scene that Mark just described. But now Luke is describing it. We have some extra details here, and I hope you'll see what happens and how it explains what we were just talking about. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Now back to Mark. 
Do, do you see why these four fishermen would leave everything to follow this man now? You see? It makes a lot of sense. They had good reason to follow this man. In fact, the Gospel of John tells us that this is not the first time Andrew, Simon's brother, has encountered Jesus. He had, he had already encountered Jesus once before through the ministry of John, and he told his brother Simon about Jesus before this very event. But you see there, they, they witnessed this miracle. We could follow a guy like that. Now we've got good reason to follow someone. It was not as though some stranger comes up and says, follow me, and they, they say, well, I guess we should. Okay, we're, we're going to leave our dad. That's, that's not what happened. Jesus showed them. He gave them a reason to drop everything and follow. And so this leaves us with a question. Why should we follow this man? Why should we follow this man? Why have so many people decided to follow this man? It's because we believe what was wrote about him. We believe what has been written about him. We believe that he is the Son of God. We believe that he is the only way that we can be right with God and have our sins forgiven. We believe that he is the one our hearts were made for. We believe that only he can give us the happiness and satisfaction we've been searching for. And so we follow because we believe. If this man really is who the Bible says he is, well, then I'm ready to leave everything. I'm ready to leave everything behind and follow him. What about you? He, he calls them. Notice he calls them and he says... I will make you become fishers of men. Simon and Andrew, you're, you're fishermen. Why don't you follow me and go catch men instead of fish? Go, go fish for people. Now, in one sense, Jesus here is saying, take whatever you do now, take whatever you know, and then come do that spiritually in the kingdom. Take your, your vocation Take your serious hobby. Take whatever you do now and what you know and come do that, Jesus says, for me in my kingdom in a spiritual way. I look out into this crowd and I see all kinds of people with all kinds of different jobs and vocations. And Jesus says to all of you, come follow me. He says to you teachers, come follow me and teach others the truths of God. You farmers, come sow the seeds of the gospel and provide spiritual food and drink to people. The, the spiritual food and the living water that they need. You real estate agents, come help people secure a home in heaven. You healthcare workers, come nurse the spiritually sick to health. You businessmen, Come help people understand the benefits of the gospel over what they're currently doing. You optometrists, come help people see with the eyes of their hearts. You law enforcement, come protect the weak from the attacks of Satan. You bankers, come show others how to store up treasures in heaven. You funeral directors, 
Come help people prepare for the day when the dead will rise out of their graves. You firefighters, come save people from the fires of hell. And you construction workers, come and build a spiritual kingdom. Jesus says, come follow me. Take what you know and take what you do and do it for me in a spiritual way. But, that's just one sense of this. There's another sense of this where he's calling all of us to become fishermen. He's calling all of us to do it, right? I don't fish. I have no idea. I'm horrible at fishing. A lot of you guys know so much about it. I have no idea. My son, though, my son does fish. He loves it. So I think here in the next few years, I'm probably going to learn a little bit about fishing, right? But he's calling all of us, even if we, we know nothing about it, to come and become fishers of men. You see, the call to follow Christ is not just a call to personal holiness. It's not just a call to personal holiness. It's a call to bring others into the kingdom. If you want to follow Jesus, that's what you're signing up for. Jesus did not call you to become a Christian and then retire and to sit and be fed for the rest of your life. And with no concern for those outside the kingdom. No, Jesus calls you to go and fish. You know how when someone retires, if that person kind of just sits back and does nothing, what happens to their health? Their health usually goes down really fast, right? But if, if someone retires and they stay active and they have meaningful work and they're, they're up and doing lots of things every day, that person's health usually stays good longer than those other folks. Well, some Christians view salvation as a retirement. I've made it, so it's time to kick my feet up. Right? It's time to sit back in the pew and get fat. It's time to, to relax. And Jesus says, no, no, you're, you're in, and now let's go to work. You're in, and let's go to work now. It's a call to do what Jesus did in verses 14 and 15, to go and proclaim the gospel, to go and tell people that Jesus has come and that he has died for their sins and that they can have their sins forgiven if they come to him. It's a call to go and tell people, repent and believe the good news and to bring others in with us. Instead of fishing for fish, we're fishing for people. This is what it means to fish for people. I was talking about my son earlier. My dad loves to fish with my son. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, A couple summers ago, my dad called up us uh, up, up here and he said, Hey, I, I want to take Owen out fishing on Green River Lake. So they, they went out one summer, rented a pontoon boat, and they were going to have a, a whole day together. And they came back at the end of the day and we said, How was it? And they were like, Well, we had a lot of fun, but we didn't catch one fish. Nothing. We really tried, but they just weren't biting that day, right? And so my dad decided that day, that's not going to happen again. And so what he did was he called up Mr. David Jones out here at Green River Lake. Now, David, if you don't know, is a world-class crappie fisherman. And so he calls up Mr. David Jones and he says, hey, I, I want to bring my grandson out and we, we don't want to fish, we want to catch, right? We're not going fishing. That's what happens when you go with David Jones. You don't go fishing, you're going catching. That's what they call it now. Right? They, they don't say we're going fishing, we're going catching. All right? But that's not the way it always is for us, right? We are fishers of men. And sometimes they're just not biting. That happens. Sometimes just not biting that day. But we still fish. We continue to fish. We continue to cast. 
we continue to try. And sometimes we help bring someone into the kingdom. And we rejoice in that. And if we could do that every day, we would live on the mountaintop for the rest of our lives. But the call is to simply keep fishing. To keep fishing. And then once you cast it out there, it's, it's between them and God. It's like the sower who sows the seed, right? And some of it falls on good soil, but not all of it. Just keep fishing. Keep fishing. And so, the kingdom of God is at hand, brothers and sisters. The kingdom of God is at hand. I know sometimes it doesn't seem like it. It is. It's here. That's the good news. That's what we are proclaiming to the world. That's what I proclaim to you today. The kingdom of God is here. And God, in his graciousness and in his patience, is allowing time for people to come in before he says enough. That's what's happening right now. That's the the, the age we are living in. The kingdom of God has broken in. It is at hand. And God is allowing time for people to come into the kingdom. What are you going to do? Will you obey the truth of the gospel? Or will you stay on the outside of this kingdom? Because one day it will be too late. One day his patience, scripture says, runs out. And when that happens, he sends back his son. And once Jesus returns, it's over. Forever. No more second chances for all eternity. The kingdom of God is at hand, but it is not yet fully here. And it is God's patience and kindness where he is waiting for more to come in. Will you come in? Will you come along with us? Will you sign up to be a fisherman for Christ? He's calling all of us to do it. What are you going to do today? Right now, we're going to spend some time in prayer. This time that we offer each week is a time for you to respond to God's word that he has just laid upon your heart. For us to speak back to God after he has just spoken to us. And so we ask everyone to to utilize this time to respond to the Lord in whatever way that you need to. To to deal with the Lord in whatever way that you need to in your heart and your mind. We will give an opportunity for those who need to respond in a public manner to do so here in just a moment. But this prayer time is a time where we all need to respond. Because no matter if we need to respond publicly or not, every single one of us needs to respond. That's what this prayer time is for. And so let's pray for just a few moments and then we'll have an invitation time where those who need to respond publicly can do so.